have energy, but there's no electrons. The other thing is, it's not every single one of these is going to actually excite and move forward. So you're going to get the excited, you're going to decay back down without transferring that energy. And that energy is going to release its heat. Good question. So here's the, the low resolution structure of these. People have gone through and solved the structures of some of these complexes. And I want to just show you these. And what these are showing you is in only one case, in blue here, are the proteins. But everything else you're seeing are the pigments. Okay? And the important thing about these, notice these pigments are pretty intertwined with each other. In essence, this is a monomer. And this is another one of monomers all the way around. It forms this ring complex. So you have bacteria chlorophyll A, and you have um, carotenoids. And so in essence, you have this complex sitting there with all these different components that can actually absorb light energy. But additionally, they can transfer energy to a neighboring one. So if this one is excited, its energy can be transferred to this one. It can be transferred to this one, et cetera. So you have this ability if you absorb any one part of this ring structure, you can transfer that energy very efficiently all the way around. So that's light harvesting complex two, and they have a pretty good structure of that. It was solved back in 1995. <laughs> now they know light harvesting complex one looks similar to this with slightly you know, slight differences, and they've modeled what that would look like. And again, what I'm showing you is a little bit of protein in here, but the red are all the pigments that are sitting in that um, light harvesting complex. It's the theoretical model. And again, you have this ring structure, but more importantly, you have the ring structure, but you also have these pigments in close association with each other. That gives you the ability to do this energy transfer. And in this model, what they did is they also solved the crystal structure of the reaction complex as well. And it turns out the dimensions of the reaction complex means that it can fit really efficiently right in the middle of that ring structure. And so in theory, what's happening is you have a reaction center surrounded by light harvesting complex one. And so you have the ability then to transfer that energy very efficiently into that reaction center. And so if you put all of this together, they propose that the purple phototropic organisms, and they have the ability to look at the membranes in some detail using scanning electron microscopy. And you can see complexes that look very similar to this. And so the process is pretty decent model. So you have a reaction center surrounded by a light harvesting complex with a, a one with a ring of light harvesting complex twos. And you can do energy transfer. This one gets excited, it can transfer its energy to this one or directly to a light harvesting complex one, and that has the ability to transfer it right to the reaction center. And it's all energetically favorable and passing that energy efficiently towards that reaction center. <coughs> So the purple bacteria are pretty interesting in that when they start to do photosynthesis, they're photosynthesis, they start to actually have these invaginations into their membranes. And so in essence, what they start to do is accumulate their membranes and they start to actually fold inwards. So what do you think one result of that is going to be? So first off, where do these reaction centers have to be? They have to be integrated into the membrane. So if you want to be able to generate energy, odds are you're going to want to make more membrane. 
in essence, you're making more surface area. So the cells, these cells are not changing in size. They're just altering the amount of surface area of the membranes and generally clustering in these reaction centers of the town in those imbaptinations in the membranes. So it's not only making the reaction center, but making the reaction center in the antenna and making more membranes that you can fit more of these reaction centers into the actual membranes to generate more energy. Now the greens don't do it that way. They actually have these chlorosomes form, which there's actually a lipid monolayer that surrounds them. You have a series of bacteria chlorophylls again, and you have bacteria chlorophyll base plate. And what they do is in essence the same type of thing. You have this, you can see the chlorosomes actually the scanning EM of one of the uh, chlorobium species. And these complexes here are these large antenna that are absorbing these wavelengths <coughs> that are funneling all that energy eventually to the reaction center. <coughs> and so they clearly are quite important for these organisms. Survival is a huge part of the cellular material that you see when you look at these things. But the important thing is, is the idea is if you look at the wavelengths of these absorb, if you've got absorption at 840, potentially at 670, these are at 720 to 550, 795 and 808. So again, expanding the wavelengths that they can absorb, funneling all that energy from light into those reaction centers. So I'll show you an example of this idea of this heat we were discussing previously. So one thing that these organisms are going to do is use phototrophy as a way of generating energy, generating reducing power. Now the interesting thing is, is that this group did some research on phototrophic sulfur bacteria. So now you know, when you see the purple sulfur, you immediately have an idea of what their um, phototrophic process means. And um, as heat engines, all right, in these South Andros black holes. What does, what does that really mean? This is showing you an aerial photograph of one of these black holes that's shown right here. This one's about a half a mile across. Okay. This is in the ocean. This here is on the island. Now the interesting thing about this is what happens is if you were to look at this system, you have the ocean. So it winds up being what happens is the salt water seeps through the limestone and everything that's associated with that island. And what happens is the bottom part of this is in essence salt water. Now because of rain, everything else, the top actually is fresh water. And they don't really mix. The interesting thing is, is that it's this region between the two systems, uh, which is of interest because all of that black that you see there is actually phototrophic bacteria. Okay? And they grow in that region between the two layers. And so that's a half a mile across. And you can see it's a pretty dark patch. There's quite a few bacteria that are there. <coughs> Now what they found with these, which is pretty interesting, is if you took a detector and monitored the temperature as you move through that water column, what you find is there's a spike in the temperature. And so this is showing you as you move downwards in water depth, 
in meters, as you go down, you'll get to this one position and all of a sudden you'll see it goes from about 30 degrees and it spikes out to 36, 37 degrees Celsius. <clears throat> you pass by this region here and it, the temperature immediately starts to drop again. And it turns out that area, which is about a meter thick, is all bacteria. <clears throat> and bacteria, two different species that are phototrophs, um, and they all have the optimal growth temperature of approximately what the temperature is in that particular region. And it's the only bacteria that they find in that region. And so what it appears is happening is the organisms are doing phototrophy to be able to actually generate an energy-reducing power. They fix CO2 for all its carbon. But additionally, they're warming the water around it. And when they do that, they've found that the organisms that live here and the organisms that live here cannot survive at that temperature. So in essence, they've made the environment in essence, sterile except for themselves. Um, and they're doing it based on using temperature. Right? And so all that energy that they're able to absorb from the light, they convert to alter. And you think about this, this is a half mile long, a meter thick, and being able to change the temperature that drastically. It's amazing. What's too bad is University of Wisconsin doesn't have um, a subscription to the journal that had this article. Um, but someone said there's a, a movie clip where they actually show the divers going through this. And uh, it's pretty wild because, in essence, the divers go through and just hold this one pose, drift through it, and then, in essence, because they move the bacteria as they through it, there's just this imprint of them sitting in that meter that sits there for quite some time until the bacteria eventually swarm and take it over. Um, but it's a massive amount of organisms to do this, and it's also a unique way that they can do a selection for just themselves. They can harness that energy, not just for energy generation and reducing power, but changing the water temperature. And what they found is there's some unique pigments, and the membranes are full of these unique pigments. They look a lot like carotenoids. You have these conjugated bond systems. And again, the idea is light hits it, excites the electrons, those electrons, as they decay back to the original orbital, release heat. And that's how they're able to actually do that. They need a rich source of electrons to be able to actually drive that. 
most well-known of these are cyanobacteria. Um, these are some of the um, genus that actually, Vegas trichodesmium is the dominant um, cyanobacteria in the ocean. So there's a massive amount of phototrophy on the planet. Um, so this is just showing you uh, trichodesmium. They're long filamentous bacteria um, to do, um, that do photosynthesis. You can also have single cellular um, Seneca cysta species. These are single cellular um, oxygenic phototrophs. And this is um, chloroplorin, and actually it's just the green part of these. So in the ocean, a lot of marine life, particularly a lot of corals, um, they're green. And that's because that's actually many just cyanobacteria and phototrophy. And actually most of the sponges in the environment also deal with the fact that um, probably about 60 to 70% of their weight is the bacteria that are there. And a lot of those are phototrophs. So they have a huge impact in the ocean in particular, but also in freshwater as well. So the mechanism for how these work is that, again, they need two reaction centers. And they work very similar to what we've already talked about in the purples and the greens. And as you see, it's because they evolved from the purples and the greens. So this is the first reaction center, photosystem 2, or reaction center 2, used in a variety of ways. Like this, an electron comes from a special pair. You pass through some pigments to a quinone. So it looks a lot like a purple phototrophs. The reduced quinones then enter in. They go to a cytochrome BF complex that looks like the cytochrome BC1 complex. So you got a Q cycle going on. And they push the electrons over onto um, a cytochrome or alternatively a plastic quinone, the PC. The same thing. It's an electron carrier that's going to then move those electrons to another part of the cell. Now, We've talked about cyclic and non-cyclic processes. These are not a cyclic process because what happens is that electron is lost. It comes through, moves off onto these. These are going to go off to the next reaction center. We'll talk about that in the next slide. But the way this is regenerated is to split water, generate oxygen, pull the electrons out, and that's what restores the electron that was lost in the photosystem. So that's why the external electron donor in this is actually So if we look at, well, what happens to these electrons over here? Where do they go? Well, they can pass off to the other reaction center, so photosystem one. So photosystem one, if you follow the electrons, they pass downwards. They go to a ferredoxin. <coughs> that ferredoxin can pass the electrons either to the quinone pool or to reducing power. Right? If it goes through the cyclic process and generates a proton motor force, you're able to just pass the electrons back and forth, and you just have a cyclic process to generate a proton motor force. If those electrons go to NADH, then the problem is this has to be reset because it's no longer a cyclic process. The electrons for how it resets come from the reduced cytochrome or phosphocytin that came from the previous reaction center. And so this, hopefully you see, looks a lot like the phototrophic system in the, in the green phototrophs. So you're going through ferredoxin. That's the key to be able to generate reducing power. You can do a cyclic process. 
when you go to reducing power, you have a non-signal process. Those electrons started in photosystem 2, and then they can pass through and eventually come back to photosystem 1. So again, if you put all of this together, this is the overall scheme of the two reaction centers focusing on particularly on the redox potentials and why the electrons flow in the way they do. Reaction center two gets excited, pass the electrons down, goes into the quinone pool. You can generate a proton motor force, but those electrons also can be passed off to reaction center one to recharge photosystem one. That can get hit by light, excitation, electrons flow down, the, uh, the table, you get to ferroxyl, you can generate some reducing power, or you can come through the signal process and generate a That's how they connect together pretty efficiently. And so the reason why this, the way this reaction center gets recharged and the way this reaction center gets recharged, if you're going to be doing reducing power generation, is you're going to use water as the electron donor. This one always has to be recharged by water. This one gets recharged by water if it's generating reducing power. If it's generating a proton motor force, it works in this signal process. So one of the cool things, and we'll talk about this later in the semester, is that this is what cyanobacteria do. Um, and it's also what plants are going to do. They, in essence, grab onto um, some cyanobacteria and then harness that. The cyanobacteria are also, many of them have to do nitrogen fixation. Okay? Nitrogen fixation is extraordinarily sensitive to oxygen. So the only way you're making your nitrogen is to use something that requires you to keep oxygen away. The only way you generate reducing power and energy is to use something that generates oxygen. There's a problem. Right? And you'll see one of the interesting things is those organisms will have part of their cells differentiate so that there'll be one particular cell that shuts this off. In essence, they delete the genes coding for all those components. It's the only thing that one particular cell can do is this. And therefore, it can't, and you don't have to worry about um, oxygen generation because in essence, you've deleted the genes that enable you to do it. So it's a pretty interesting process, and we'll talk about how it does that. But it's also to try to point out that in some bacteria, these are closely tied together. You can't get them to function independent of each other. There are some organisms that are programmed, in essence, to detach these from each other to allow them to work separately. Do we have any questions? So just to reiterate, if you look overall schematically at these systems, hopefully you've seen oxygenic phototrophs. Photosystem 2 looks a lot like the reaction center of the purple phototrophs. Mechanistically, they work exactly the same way. <coughs> the only difference is this is some of the electrons put back in using water. So you have an external electron. And if you look at photosystem 1, this is looking at the oxygenic phototrophs, looking at the anoxygenic green phototrophs. You can see a cyclic process or using that ferroxin. Clearly, this process led to this process. That's where they came from evolutionarily. And so the whole system comes together where you have at some point in evolutionary history, 
organisms were able to fuse these two different types of chlorotherapy together to eventually make what now we see commonly in plants but a lot of oxygenic chlorotherapy. So the oxygenic phototropes also have <coughs> antenna as well. It's the same concept. You're going to have you have a slightly different structure. And here are the reaction centers, and then you have these spike zones, and all of these are loaded full of pigments, and what they're doing is expanding the wavelengths that can be accepting um, an energy flight and funneling that using this transfer energy to be able to funnel all that energy to the reaction center. So you get more phototropic capabilities with a wider amount of, of light wavelengths. So it's all the same concept. And as you mentioned, there are plants that exploit this after they pick it up in bacteria to melt the snow and be one of the earliest um, organisms to, to break through the snow to get an early start in the spring. And so nothing is 100% efficient. And energy transfer is not 100% efficient, but organisms have evolved to capitalize on that inefficiency. So, you should know about these pigments, that they can use them for the antenna of the reaction center to capture light energy. Um, the excited electrons pass through an electron transport chain. So you can see hopefully the pattern that you, that you see in respiration, both aerobic, anaerobic respiration, phototrophy. It's all about pushing those electrons through an electron transport chain, connecting up with the nodes. Um, there are two types of electron flow that can occur. You know that the cyclic process that you the motor force if you go non-cyclic, you generate not only a quicker motor Um, if you do the non-cyclic process, you need an external donor, so that's why you have sulfurs and non-sulfurs, um, and why you have the requirement for, or for water. And understand that oxygenic phototrophs have two photosystems, and they really evolved from the greens and the purples, and putting those together in a way that makes it quite efficient. And oxygenic photosystem too is a very strong oxidant, and that's why we generate oxygen in the process. So really a